Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. This episode, we're talking about one of my favorite drivers, the legend himself, Sebastian Vettel. Get ready, folks. This might be a long one. <laughs> On the episode, we have Hannah, Amy, and Ido with Leanne and myself behind the scenes, Chelsea. And to start us off, I'm going to pass it off to Hannah for just a quick snippet of his pre-Formula One life. So Sebastian Vettel is a German racing driver born on July 3rd, 1987 in the Western Germany area. Now, there isn't much on his life before karting. I will say Vettel is one of the most successful drivers in Formula One history, just to kind of like give you that heads up. Um, But Sebastian spent eight years in karting, starting at the age of three, but started racing in the series more predominantly in 1995. He was accepted into the Red Bull Junior team in 1998 and won the German Junior Karting Championship, the Monaco Kart Cup, and the European Junior Karting Championship in 2001. The following year, he was sixth in the Senior ICA Kart Championship, and then he moved into car racing. So in 2003, Seb was 16 years old and decided to get into single-seater racing, and he joined Eiffelant Racing to compete in the 2003 ADAC Formula BMW Championship. Now, in that year, he won five times to finish runner-up behind Maximilian Goetz, and then his second season in the category, that was nothing short of dominant. He won all but two races. In the end, he finished the season with 18 wins out of 20 starts and 387 points out of a maximum 400 points. Following that domination, he moved on to a higher category for 2005, joining the Formula 3 Euro Series with the German ASL Mick Motorsport team. Initially, the season unfolded slowly, I want to say, because he struggled to achieve notable results in the first half. However, as the season progressed, he found his stride and consistently challenged the front runners. Despite frequently competing with the championship leader, Lewis Hamilton, another Formula One driver that is legendary, for the lead, Vettel consistently finished second behind the Brit. Ultimately, he concluded the season in fifth place in the championship, securing five podiums in a 20-race season. In addition to former three Euro Series, Vettel also participated in prestigious F3 races, including the Macau Grand Prix and the Masters of Formula 3. At the Macau Grand Prix, he demonstrated strong performance, finishing third behind Lucas de Grassi and Rupert Kubica. However, in the Masters of Formula 3, his performance was less impressive, resulting in a 11th place finish. Now, for 2006, he embarked on his second Formula 3 season with the same team, and his teammates actually included future fellow F1 racers, Paul DeResta and Kumai Kobayashi, and Guido van der Gaard. Vettel emerged as a title contender from the beginning, engaging in fierce rivalry with 
teammate Paul DeVosta for the season. Despite being evenly matched in the title races by the midpoint of the season, Vettel sadly faced some setbacks with an accident in the former Renault series, nearly severing one of his fingers. And honestly, initially it was expected that it, this would sideline him for the rest of the season, but Vettel being Vettel, he returned to the cockpit just four weeks after the accident. And albeit he was unable to perform at his best, and ultimately he conceded the title to teammate DeResta due to the injury, he was still able to perform. And honestly, losing feeling and stuff in your hands as a racing driver is horrible. So it's impressive, impressive regardless. Now, in 2006, we saw Seb make his start in the F1 world when he became BMW Sauber's third driver at the 2006 Turkish Grand Prix when Robert Kubica replaced Jacques Villeneuve as second driver for the Hungarian GP. On his testing debut, Seb set the fastest time in the second free practice session on Friday and then became the youngest Formula One driver to participate in a Grand Prix weekend at 19 years old and about 53 days. He managed to set another record this time for collecting his first fine in nine seconds into his career, as Seb had exceeded the pit lane speed limit on the way to the track. During his second testing session at the 2006 Italian Grand Prix, he set the fastest time in both Friday practice sessions. Now, in 2007, he was confirmed as BMW's test driver for the season. After Kubica crashed at the Canadian Grand Prix, Seb was named as his replacement for the US GP. He started that race in seventh and finished in eighth to become the youngest driver to score points in Formula One. And that impressive performance at the US GP captured the attention of Torosso. As he was part of their young driver program, it was honestly no surprise that on July 31st of that year, it was officially announced that Vettel would replace the struggling Scott Speed for the remainder of the season, partnering with Italian driver Vitanio Luzzi. Additionally, it was revealed two days later that Vettel had secured a spot at Torosso for 2008 as well. Vettel's debut with the team occurred in the Friday practice session at the Hungarian GP. However, he faced challenges in qualifying, securing only a 20th grid spot. The subsequent race results were a quiet 16th place. However, the following Turkish race sadly was as disappointing, I want to say, because once again, he finished last because of engine issues during a pit stop. And honestly, after that underwhelming start, Vettel had the opportunity to conduct a proper test session with Toro Rosso at Monza in preparation for the Italian GP. And despite a more favorable qualifying session, finishing 16th, the race provided disappointing again as he collided with Anthony Davidson's Super Aguri and finished 18th. Belton brought another setback, sadly. And 
Vettel retired on the eighth lap of that session with steering issues. Definitely not what he was known for later in his career. However, the Japanese Grand Prix saw everything change at Fuji. Despite an eventful race with heavy rain and many cars retiring, Vettel was able to show resilience. Starting in ninth, he climbed through the field, but unfortunately collided with Mark Webber's Red Bull on lap 45. This incident led to both drivers retiring, and Vettel, because of this collision, faced heavy criticism and received a 10th place grid drop for the next race in China. Thankfully, that grid drop, however, was later reduced to a reprimand upon investigation. And honestly, I'm glad that it was because China was challenging once again because he got another five-place grid drop for blocking Heiko Kovalainen during qualifying. And despite starting 17th, Vettel displayed a strong recovery in mixed condition, finishing in a commendable fourth place. However, that fourth place was a, I want to say, one-off because the season ended in disappointing results due to hydraulics issues at the final race. In the 2008 season, Vettel continued with Torosso, welcoming a new teammate in Sebastian Bourdais, a four-time kart champion, making his Formula 1 debut. Torosso showed promise in preseason testing, with Vettel even participating in a test for the main Red Bull team in Barcelona, substituting for an injured David Goldbard. And honestly, the first race in Australia especially highlighted Vettel's pace, especially in the third qualifying session, securing him a competitive 10th place. However, an oil pump failure forced him to retire from the session. The race took an unfortunate turn for him as well as he stalled on the grid, dropping several places and later colliding in the third corner, resulting in him... Mark Webber, Jensen Button, and Anton Davidson being taken out of the race. Can this guy catch a break at this point in life? But sadly enough not, as you will see in a second. This trend continued with challenging races in Malaysia and Bahrain. And honestly, the Turkish Grand Prix finally marked Vettel's first completed race, but issues like a first lap puncture and refueling problems led to a disappointing 17th place finish. The turning point, however, came when Terrasa revised the STR3 chassis introduced in round six. While Vettel struggled in Monaco, starting 18th, the race conditions proved favorable. Many retirements and collisions allowed him to climb to fifth, securing very valuable points. And from then on, his resilience was just showcased. showcased. He challenged in Canada where he couldn't participate in qualifying. He fought 
through the race, however, finishing eighth. Upgrades to the Toyota chassis at the French GP further improved his performance. And while finishing in the same qualifying position, Vettel successfully kept a competitive BMW Sauber of Nick Heidfeld behind. However, Vettel faced misfortune in Britain, colliding with David Coulthard on the first lap. However, from that point onwards, Vettel consistently outperformed both teammates, Borde and the Red Bull racing team even, with strong showings in Germany and Hungary. And starting from the European GP in Valencia, Vettel entered a streak of high point finishes, notably qualifying sixth in Valencia and finishing the race in the same position. The Belgian GP saw him climb from 10th to 5th in mixed conditions. The Italian GP in Monza marked a historic moment for Vettel and Tarasso in general. Qualifying in vet conditions, Vettel secured pole position, becoming the youngest driver to achieve this. In a vet race, Vettel convincingly won the race and set a record as the youngest pole sitter and race winner in Formula 1 history. Continuing his success, he performed well in Singapore, finishing fifth. And despite the challenges in Japan and China, he finished sixth and ninth respectively. The season concluded in Brazil, where he secured a strong fourth place finish, ending the championship in eighth position and contributing to Toro Rosso finishing ahead of sister team Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. Vettel's impressive season showcased his skill, determination, and honestly, it established him as a rising star. Now, in 2009, Seb made the switch to Red Bull Racing when he replaced the retired David Coulthard. He started strong at the Australian Grand Prix, running in second for most of the race, but after a, cl- uh, after a clash with Kubica for second, it forced both to retire. He did go on to take pole position and the race win at the Chinese Grand Prix, earning Red Bull their maiden pole and their maiden win. Other wins for him this season included wins in Great Britain, Japan, which was a pole position and leading every lap race for him, and the inaugural Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. He finished second in the Drivers' Championship standings behind Jensen Button and finished the year by winning the 2009 DHL Fastest Lap Award. Now, 2010, Seb took the first pole position of the season at the, Bra- at the Bahrain Grand Prix and led most of the race, but finished in fourth place due to a spark plug failure. He got his first win of the season in Malaysia, and then in Monaco, he made it a Red Bull 1-2 with him in second and Mark Webber finishing first. We saw some drama at the Turkish Grand Prix where Seb was running in second behind Webber, and when he made a passing move, it caused the two of them to collide, putting Seb out of the race, and it ended up with neither driver accepting any responsibility for the collision that occurred. Now, in Japan, he qualified on pole ahead of Weber and won with a lights-to-pole victory. At the age of 23 years and 98 days, he became the youngest Grand Prix driver to win on the same track twice. With a 1-2 in Brazil, Seb and Weber locked in Red Bull's first World Constructors Championship. 
Seb went into Abu Dhabi with a 15-point deficit to Fernando Alonso and only seven points separating him from his teammate in second. He won the GP from pole and became the youngest World Drivers' Championship in the sports history at the time. Fernando ended up finishing seventh in the race, making this the third time in F1 history that the title winner had not been at the top of the championship ranking until after the final race. Now, in 2011, Seb started the season with wins in Australia and Malaysia and a second place finish at the Chinese Grand Prix due to poor tire management, which was likely due to his inability to properly communicate with his team as his radio was broken. Now, in Monaco, we had some more dramatics for Seb and some more radio issues that caused the Red Bull pit crew to be unprepared, causing a slow pit stop, and they put him on the wrong tires. He ended up having to switch to a one-stop strategy and stuck with one set of soft tires for 56 laps. When the race was red flagged and everybody could come in to change tires, Seb was able to retain the lead and the win when it was restarted under a safety car. At the European Grand Prix in Valencia, Spain, the FIA had enforced a ban on engine mappings, which some of the press thought was an attempt to shut down Seb's early dominance that was presented this season. He took pole with the fastest qualifying lap in the circuit's history and dominated with his first hat trick of the 2011 season and won his sixth race out of eight so far. At the British Grand Prix, Seb held off Mark Webber for second. It was only the second time in the sports history that a driver had finished second or higher in each of the first nine races of the season and won at least six races. His 14 successive front row starts and 11 top two finishes ended at his home race, which was not always fun to watch. I remember watching that one and was a little heartbroken to see that. But in Italy, he took his 10th pole position of the year and he joined Arrington Senna as the only driver to have taken 10 pole positions in two separate seasons. He secured a podium finish in Japan and his second successive title with four races remaining, making him the youngest double and back-to-back champion. He won in Korea and became the second driver to take at least 10 wins in a season after his friend Michael Schumacher. Korea is also when he locked in Red Bull's second successive Constructors' Championship. In the end, he broke the, he broke the record for the most pole positions in a season at the season finale in Brazil. He completed the year with 15 poles, 11 victories, and 17 podiums for 19 races of the season, earning a record total of 392 points. Now, 2012, Seb started the season with a second-place finish at the Australian Grand Prix in Malaysia. He finished outside of the points following a collision with backmarker Niran Kethrekian. Both Seb and Christian Horner criticized his driving and called him a, quote, idiot and, quote, cucumber. Very much so feels like a British or European insult, but gave me a good giggle when I um, saw that headline again doing this research. He won in Singapore and kept the lead until the two-hour race limit was reached. And at the Japanese Grand Prix, he took, he took a second career Grand Slam. He followed that up by winning at both the Korean and the Indian Grand Prix as Seb topped all three practice sessions before taking pole position and 
leading every lap to win the Indian Grand Prix. He started the last race in Brazil with a 13-point cushion against Fernando, Fernando Alonso. During the race, Seb spun during the opening lap after an incident with Bruno Senna. And after challenging weather conditions, Seb climbed to finish in sixth place to win the championship by three points and to become the youngest ever triple world championship. Also becoming the third driver to acquire three consecutive championships after Juan Manuel Faniego and Michael Schumacher. Now in 2013, Seb started the first two races of the season on pole position. And at the Malaysian Grand Prix, he lapped over two and a half seconds faster than his teammate in a wet quali. He won the race, though, not without any controversy. And this is when things at Red Bull started to get a little tense, shall we say. When he ignored some team orders, the uh, um, infamous multi-21 order, and passed Mark Webber for the lead of the race. While Christian Horner wasn't really happy with that, he did point out that Mark Webber had defied orders in the past. In a press conference, Seb claimed that he was not sorry for winning and he would make the move again, adding that he felt Weber did not deserve to win the race. And I very vividly remember watching both the race and this press session after, and you could just cut the tension with a knife. It was so palpable. This season saw multiple times of Seb being booed by fans. The booing was widely condemned by both fellow drivers, the media, and others in the paddock as a whole. Seb won the last nine races of the season, including Grand Slams in Singapore and Korea. Seb set the then record for the most consecutive race wins with nine, and he became only the third man after after Alberto, Oreski, and Jim Clark to take consecutive Grand Slams. He locked in his fourth world title at the Indian Grand Prix. Overall, he finished the season with 13 P1 finishes, one P2 finish, two P3 finishes, two P4 finishes, and one DNF. Now, the 2014 season for Sebastian and Red Bull was a very interesting one. It started the season with the FIA letting drivers pick their car numbers for the remainder of their F1 careers. At the time, Seb chose the number five, but since he was the reigning world drivers champion, he carried the number one on his car throughout the season. Seb struggled with reliability issues throughout winter testing, which forced him to retire at the opening Australian Grand Prix, and again at Monaco and Austria. He finished on the podium in Malaysia, Canada, Singapore, and Japan, but he really did struggle to get to grips with the new RB10 and the new Pirelli tires. He signed off the year by becoming the first defending champion to fail to win a race during the season since Jacques Villeneuve in 1998. In October, Red Bull announced that Seb would be leaving them at the end of the season to join Ferrari one year before his contract was due to expire. He was denied an early release from his Red Bull contract to test the 2014 Ferrari car in Abu Dhabi. Despite not being able to get out of his Red Bull contract, Seb was still present at the Ferrari test, just not driving the car. But Red Bull was nice and didn't really enforce any sanctions on him for being there. Yeah, and now we go into Ferrari. So just to backtrack a little bit, after Ferrari had a not-so-good 2014 season, it's now Seb's first year at Ferrari in 2015, where the team actually seemed to turn it around. 
having rectified some of the fundamental issues of their first V6 hybrid turbo, which was like kind of still new, the red cars were finally in contention for victory much sooner than I think they expected. But Mercedes were simply too strong for Vettel to consistently take points away from them. He was, however, by far their closest challenger. While his new teammate, Kimi Rakanen, showed his potential in China and Brain over the balance of the season, Vettel easily handed his fellow world champion teammate, basically saying, like, I got this. Sorry, dude. You're out. But three victories and 10 other podium finishes was the perfect answer for the 2015 year. Now... It's year two at Ferrari 2016, and it can only be described as a disappointment. More than that, Vettel's growing frustrations boiled over into outright anger as he neared the end of a second winless season in three years. But Seb led the first lap of the season and might have won in Australia had his team not ruined the opportunity to change his tires during a race suspension. And since having to fail to do that, the Mercedes were easily able to pass them. Another victory shot past him in Canada and another flying start put him in the lead. But this time Ferrari pitted him too hastily after a virtual safety car period. The deployment ended suddenly and the team failed to gain the benefit from their quick pit stop and Vettel's lead was lost again. The end of the season on the podium in Abu Dhabi, his seventh appearance of the year on the podium, but it was far less than the team had hoped for for 2016. Now, 2017. Now this was called the championship challenges, but ultimately ending in disappointment. Um, Ferrari's decision to focus in 2016 on its development program for the 2017 season when new aerodynamic regulations like arrived actually seemed to pay off. The team began the season in strong shape and Vettel led the championship in the first half of the year. This was despite a controversial run-in with Hamilton at Azerbaijan. Vettel believing Hamilton had brake tested him behind the safety car, swerved into the side of his rival, causing contact. He was fortunate, though, to escape with no more than a stop-go penalty and luckier still to end the race ahead of Hamilton, who had to pit due to a loose headrest. Karma. Sometimes karma. But it was the final sequence of a flyaway race that Vettel's championship hopes were crushed. He took pole position in Singapore, but triggered a three-way collision, which wiped out both Ferraris with Max Verstappen's Red Bull. Victory for Hamilton put him on course for the title, unfortunately, at the end of the season, and technical trouble for Vettel in Japan all but killed off his hopes to even be like co-champion. Hamilton ultimately clinched the title in Mexico officially, but Vettel grabbed a final win in Brazil to kind of round out the season. The title may have been alluded to him, but Ferrari was finally becoming championship contenders again, maybe? Now, 2018. The signs were good at the beginning. Not gonna lie. Ferrari had clearly closed the horsepower gap between Mercedes 
And now the season was dubbed for the fight for five by the media. As for the first time in Formula One history, two quadruple world championships lined up at the start of the season for the second consecutive year. Vettel began the season with a victory in Australia after he took the lead while pitting under the virtual safety car. It was his 100th podium, while he also became only the third man in Formula One history to have led over 3,000 laps. But despite that, he collected a grid penalty in Austria, tangled with Botas in France, and worst, bent his car while leading his home race on home ground. And that wasn't even the end of it, sadly. Having wrestled with the victory for Hamilton at Spa, he barely got points by tangling with his rival on lap one in Monza. This began an unfortunate trend. He did the same in Verstappen in Japan and Ricardo in Austin. That left his champion hopes basically on the ground, in shambles, whatever you want to call it. And Hamilton finished the job in Mexico, again, leading Seb, not getting it for another year. Crying. Now we're in 2019. Difficult start ending at Ferrari? Intriguing. The season would ultimately be the last winning one of Vettel's F1 career. And there would be just one win over the entire season, despite Ferrari having the second best car on the grid. Ferrari's first victory of 2019 looked to have come in Montreal, aka Canada, as Vettel took his first pole since the previous year's German Grand Prix, and then led the vast majority of the race, including meeting the checkered flag in first place. Praise the Lord. But he was handed a five-second penalty post-race for forcing Hamilton off the track. It takes two to tangle, though. Giving the victory of his rival. And fun fact for all my girlies who even like paid attention to like the little like tit for tat at Hamilton and Vettel were having. Um, in Park Ferme, Vettel swapped around the position boards to put a two in front of Hamilton's car. Um, I don't necessarily know the full reason behind that, but I think it ultimately le- leads to like the craziness. Seb did it because Seb is a petty little man. We love him, but he is King Petty. Like, and he's called Inspector Seb for a reason. He's so, he he will hold on to the littlest of details. And it's why we love him dearly. Yeah, Seb is Seb. I'm, I'm for Seb though. Most people are for Seb in that, in that moment. Um, but with that, Vettel did not end up standing on the podium again until four races later. And his sole win of the season did not come until September's Singapore Grand Prix officially. And he only scored in four of the last eight races and finished fifth in the standings behind his new teammate, Charles Leclerc. Now, 2020, what would become Vettel's final year at Ferrari was by far his worst in terms of performance. Hamstrung by an underpowered power unit? Ferrari, I swear, what are you doing to our people? And with that, Vettel plummeted to his lowest championship placing since his part-time rookie season in 2007. 
Like, what the heck? As a single podium at Instable and six other point scoring results left him ultimately 13th in the standings. 13th. Like, this man is, like, supposed to be up there, like, top three, top five, not 13th. And let's not even forget, the Ferrari drivers collided at the Red Bull ring and had a rage-inducing scuffle between the two um, in Bahrain as well. And then Vettel's podium in Turkey was actually earned by passing Leclerc on the last lap. And if I remember correctly, listening to the radio, Ferrari told Charles to let Vettel pass. So if you think about it, it really was a Charles Claire win. Um, but maybe this was Ferrari going, it's his final year, here you go, that thing. Now, he even got fifth place at the Hung- Hungarian ring and was the only time Vettel qualified higher than 10th all season. And he made it only into Q3 three times. Three times. As somebody who loves Vettel and has watched and listened to his career over the years, I sometimes wonder if Ferrari hindered him more than like brought him out of the shadows. I don't disagree with you at all, Hannah. Seb is literally the reason I got into Formula One. And having seen him at his best and seen how he's progressed, I'm like, I wonder what would have happened if some of the career choices had been different. But in 2021, we saw Seb join Aston Martin for the upcoming season, replacing Checo Perez. In his debut weekend in Bahrain, he was hit with a grid penalty in qualifying, forcing him to start in last. He had a good start, but ended up colliding with Esteban Ocon and was given another penalty and ended up finishing in 15th place. He received five penalty points on his super license after the race as well. In the fifth race of the season, Seb scored his first points for the team with a fifth place finish in Monaco. At the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, he claimed Aston Martin's first podium with a second place finish. Seb also finished second in Hungary, but was disqualified after his car failed to provide the one liter sample that is required. He ended the season in 12th place in the driver's standing ahead of Lance Stroll. During the season, Seb made 132 overtakes, the most of any driver for the season, and won the inaugural overtake award. Now, in 2022, Seb missed the first two races of the season in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia after testing positive for COVID. He was substituted by Aston Martin reserve driver Nico Hulkenberg. The season as a whole was a bit of a wash for Seb. Um, It included two P6s, four P8s, one P9, three P10s, one P12, two P14s, one P17, and three DNFs. During the season in July, Seb announced that he was going to be retiring from F1 and that it would be taking effect at the end of the season which I know myself and pretty much every single PGP girl really hated to see that headline come through our phones. Now, while we all know Seb for his Formula One career, there is a lot that he does outside of it. He's a very 
um, socially conscious person. He's very philanthropic. And we just wanted to take a little bit of time to just kind of highlight some of the fantastic organizations that he backs and some of the things that are important to Seb and should be important to, I think, a lot of people. Yeah. And with that, I kind of want to just go ahead and dive right on and talk about Save the Bees because we, for every F1 fan, you most likely saw in the 2023 season that Seb got every person together and built bee houses. And that was super cute and very fun. And that was just one thing that he did to like take the step into like his philanthropic work and like all that. I mean, honestly, it wasn't just 2023. Even beforehand, he had a lot of not just bee conservation, but other things going on. For example, on the bee front, I don't know whether you guys remember his t-shirts with like Save the Bees on there and everything that the proceeds would go to saving bees because as some of you might not know, Bees are very important to our environment because of the pollination they do. Fun fact, um, he does still have some Save the Bees merch on his website if anybody wants to check that out. Um, There's still a few sizes in stock. For me, some of my favorite organizations or things that he's backed that he's also put on t-shirts because we all know Sebastian Vettel loves him a graphic tee. Um, two of them are for me, I think are really important as a female run podcast. The first one is race for women, which is all about supporting ending violence against women. And the other being same love, same rights, which is equal rights for everybody. Um, I think those shirts are also still in stock on his website in a few sizes, probably not as much because they're, I think, older models, but I just love that he is somebody who wants to just help the world and help everybody. It's just, it's so sweet. I think sometimes we don't even realize everything that Seb does since he's left F1 or even like during F1. I think people a lot of times, unfortunately, pay attention to just the racing side aspect of a person or a driver and forget all the important things that they do outside of it and the presidents that they set like they that they set and I would honestly like encourage anybody just look into what they do because a lot of times like they make and do great causes and we should support them by getting their merch and like promoting the facts that that gets done and all the work that they do outside of driving a car I, I mean agreed For example, Lewis was very involved with Black Lives Matter and taking a knee during 2020-2021. Seb was one of the first, if not the only, honestly, driver that supported him throughout. And for a person that isn't necessarily affected by, say, movements such as racing for her, Black Lives Matter, etc. To support these initiatives takes strength because it's always easy to not support something that doesn't affect you. 
Now, while we could talk about Seb for hours, and we definitely have in the past, we are going to move on to, I think, everybody's favorite part of an episode, at least one of my personal favorite parts of our episodes, and that is our pre-outro. Now, I decided to go with a driver quote, and a lot of people are probably expecting me to go for a funny Seb quote because there are some really goofy ones out there. But I'm going with one that I personally kind of use as a mantra in a way, and that is you can't change what happened, but you can still change what will happen. And so I hope that people use that for their 2024 as a way to just go through this year. Do you miss Seb on the grid as much as me? Because I do miss that little bee lover. What other spotlights would you like to hear from us? Let us know on our socials. Everywhere we are at Paddock Girls Podcast, except on Twitter. There you can find us at Paddock Girls Pod. Thanks for joining us in the paddock. We'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.